From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your host, Gary Pudnick, and I hope you're not tired of stock market talk because we got a lot more coming your way as we're now an economic show. We are pivoting from sports now onto economics, so I hope you're ready for that. Just kidding. We're just going to talk about sports today. No economics <laughs> today. I can't. I can't do it. I know everyone else is probably a lot as tired of hearing GME, AMC, Dogecoin, all Dogecoin. the all the all the big words right now. But and that being said, if you buy silver, I'm not a financial advisor, but I know you're a nitwit. <laughs> I guess so. There's a, that's our financial advisor here, Sebastian Angel Riano. But uh, our Austin, uh, as always, I'm joined by uh, my good friend Austin Reynolds. Austin, did you invest in GME? I did not. By the time I really like, tuned into this whole stock market, uh, Wall Street bets business, uh, GameStop stock, GameStop stock was already well over two hundred dollars a share. So a little late for me to buy in. But uh, something I did do over the weekend was I watched Kill Bill for the first time. And after watching the uh, the scene where Oshi uh, over and Ishi comes in, I can never listen to Colin Cowherd's show the same way because they use the same little. Uh, music. The the track that's used for that little intro scene with Oren Ishii is Colin Cowherd's intro music. Is so. it? Oh, okay. So it's not like the little alert jingle that you see in every... No, 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 no. Okay. It's the bum, 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 whatever that is. I've never seen Kill Bill. Okay. I'm going to admit that. I've never okay. seen it. So I, I, I also don't listen to Cowherd too often. Gotcha. So I, so this is probably a good thing that I don't know okay. this. <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm talking to myself here. But, but it's still like, it was weird to see that, which came out in 2003, I think. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I've been listening to Cowherd for a while. Uh, I did not know that that is where it came from. Just hmm. interesting. What, uh, maybe Cowherd's a big Kill Bill fan. Could Who do, knew? Yeah. But yeah, so we'll Quentin, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, a little bit. We got we're we're doing it all tonight. Stocks, yeah. sports, uh, movie talk. I mean, we're a well-rounded show now. Yeah. There we go. I like it. But let's get a little bit back to sports because, like I said, you heard his voice just a minute ago talking about silver. Now we're going to talk about getting that silver, the big silver trophy this weekend, Sebastian. Angel Riano, our producer, are you mentally prepared for the Super Bowl this weekend? Um, no, it's a good thing I'm not a player because <laughs> I don't think you can ever be like as a, as a fan. You can never be like mentally prepared. I've seen the decorations all around Tampa, my hometown. I'm not there obviously, but I'm seeing it with my friends, my family, and just uh, the buzz on on the Reddit and social media pages about um, you know at, at how we celebrate as best we could as a city in our COVID-19 uh, condition and seeing, you know, the, the Super Bowl 55 decorations in and around town. It's exciting. Um, anytime the Super Bowl comes to your town, which it has come to Tampa four times previously, I think, uh, once in the 90s, one in 2000s, and I believe twice in the 80s, I want to say, at uh, Old Tampa Stadium. I'm not entirely sure. Don't, don't uh, quote me on that right now. But, um, you know, I remember the last time, I think it was 2008, when the uh, the cards played the Steelers, um, and Big Ben got one of his rings, uh, in in Tampa at Ray J, it's a it's an event. It's like a spectacle, and even though we can enjoy it in limited capacity, you just gotta be along for the ride, I guess. Um, we have a lot to talk about about that specifically. I think we're going to delegate that to the back half of the show this time around. Correct, as we've always. We've got more. We we've got. Like basketball, like the the basketball demons have finally broken down <laughs> uh, the barricaded door that we have here at um, at WVFS Tallahassee. 
they finally barged into the V89 sports room and they're like, where, where is the basketball? Give us the basketball. Well, we've been talking FSU basketball and let, that's a great transition. Let's go to that right now. FSU men's basketball. We've been talking a lot about the men's and women's team here because that's what's in season and that's what people want to hear. And that's why people come to listen to an FSU show because that's what we are. And so we're going to give the people what they want by talking about FSU men's and women's. But the NBA, yeah, you're right. We have been neglecting them. And I promise, I promise, I feel like I've been saying that to Austin and some other people the past few weeks, but I promise we're going to get to NBA talk this show. You hear that, ladies and gentlemen? You do not have to send Bitcoin assassins to my house anymore. You can, <laughs> you can ease off on that. We're going to talk about it. But yeah, so let's get right into the FSU men's basketball talk because they had an interesting week this past week. They beat Miami in the Tucker Center pretty handily, I'd say. I mean... It wasn't a close game at all, really. I think from the minute it all tipped off, the game was pretty much over. But that game, there really wasn't much to talk about. I mean, it was a classic kind of game where one team is significantly better than the other. But the next game later this weekend, and yeah. FSU, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech came out the gates pretty cold. I mean, like it was a back-and-forth game early on, but at the end of the first half, Georgia Tech really separated themselves and then uh, they got out, or then Florida State went really cold. So Florida State went into the half for the first time this season, not leading. So that was a huge factor going into it. And then from there on out, the rest of the game, FSU just could not find their mojo. And they ended up losing the game 76 to 65. So this is FSU's third loss of the season. They dropped from 16 to 20 in the rankings. Austin, what were your thoughts on this game as a whole, and where did you see where did, where were you, what were you looking for going into it? Let's start with that. I was looking for a continued success from beyond the arc because missing Anthony Polite, who is a much improved three point shooter, I thought it would hurt the team way more than it has in these first few games without him. So this game, I, I was sort of looking for that same continued success, and this game was where his absence really caught up to Florida State. We're going to get into his absence a little later in the this discussion here. But Florida State shot 21.4% from three-point range. That is not what we are used to seeing from this team, especially since the COVID break. There's been a couple games here and there earlier in the season where they've just been completely cold from beyond the arc. But that was the biggest – well, I mean, there's there's a million uh, disadvantages to point out, but that is the most glaring uh, weakness for me in this game. Yeah, and FSU, like, they didn't, they also did not shoot too well from the free throw line yeah. as well this game. That's one thing I noticed early on, too. They just were not locked in. I think it's a little bit of that fatigue coming about now because they did come out, I think they came off uh, out of the COVID break with five straight wins. Yep. And that's truly impressive. But you're going to hit some, a wall every now and then, and they're going to need to find ways to kind of pick themselves up. And we'll get to a little bit later. Their next game, their game tomorrow night, might be one of those pick-me-up games, a moment to catch their breath and recuperate for a bit. But continuing on Georgia Tech, one thing that I was really hoping that this team could do or could do was stop Jose Alvarado. And early on, they were making it a very realistic possibility that they were going to hold him to maybe 15 points or so. Because I think it was early on in the second half, he was sitting around nine points. And I mentioned that to my friends as I was watching it with them. And then right after I said that, he went off for the rest of the game, had 12 points after the fact, and finished with 21 total. He was really good this game. And especially in that second half, he could not be stopped, even when he was in foul trouble, too. Yeah, that's really the biggest issue for me. Like, the broadcast kept mentioning him uh, repeatedly, Jose Alvarado, as really the spark plug for Georgia Tech. Uh, he wasn't really, he didn't really have his shot early in the first half, but he really did come alive later in this game. 
And when Georgia Tech was opening up 10, 12-point deficits or 10-point leads uh, in that second half, he was a, a lot of the reason why, as well as missed shots, missed layups, uh, turnovers from FSU. But if there was one guy on Georgia Tech's team that really sparked that little comeback and uh, made them pull away later in the game, it was Alvarado. And I was really looking for FSU to do a better job shutting him down. Yeah, and they just couldn't. And even and it didn't help either that they had MJ Walker go out with foul trouble mm-hmm. or get pulled because of uh, reaching five personal fouls with about eight minutes or so to go in that second half there. But no one else really just couldn't get anything going-wise. I mean, Balsa was not doing a great job of getting putbacks and putting them back on. I mean, every, He was in foul trouble, too. He had yeah, four of them. He, yeah, him and uh, Raekwon Gray were in foul trouble. I mean, it felt like everyone that was really required out of this team in order to win a game was in trouble or just did not have their best game that night. Yeah. Because Raekwon Gray, he was the highest scorer with 19. No one else on this team broke double digits. So there was a lot going on there, and it's tough to really unpack because this is I mean it's I think it's simply put is this is just one of those games where FSU came out and they're just tired and it's a road game they haven't for some reason played well at Georgia Tech recently and Georgia Tech as a whole as a whole university against Florida State University has kind of had their number even though Florida (laughs) State did take them down pretty handily early on in the uh, basketball season here but it's what what is FSU going to have to do looking into their next few games? Obviously, we'll get to exactly what's going on with their opponents in just a moment. But as a team, what do you want to see out of them? Honestly, just an increased emphasis on free throws because those are the most integral part of the game. They are literally free points that you can score uh, for the other team committing a foul on you. And they, Florida State has been really good at making free throws since the COVID break. Uh, there were, uh, like I mentioned with the three-point shooting, uh, there were a couple games here and there where you point out the, the free throw disparity uh, as one of the reasons why FSU lost. This is one of those games, so you can't make it a trend. They were, I believe, 14 of 23 from free throw, so mm-hmm. which is uh, about 50-60%. So you can't be doing that and expecting to win games in the ACC against a very strong, uh, underrated Georgia Tech team. They, they may have lost to Louisville earlier today in a weird 2 o'clock tip-off like we were talking about before the show, but this is a team that we talked about last week that Florida State can't underestimate. Uh, I doubt they underestimated them going into the game, but that is, uh, that's one of the areas where they definitely need to improve. Yeah, and if FSU just, let's just say, if, if they made made it to 20 made free throws in this game it's a five point it's a five point game now yeah. so i mean though that just shows how important that was for this team in this game because like you can say three-point shooting wasn't there and that that's true but free throws should be made and that's just plain and simple so that's going to be something that they really do need to uh put emphasis on going forward but scotty barnes another player that we've seen a lot out of what were your thoughts of him kind of going down the stretch here in this game? Where Did you have any confidence in him to maybe pull this win out for Florida State? Because he had to step up and be the guy because MJ was out. He did have to, yeah. And I was I was impressed with what he did off the bench, but I was expecting him to do a little more because he took over the game. I, I can't remember which, which game it was, but the one where he hit the, hit the game-winning shot, had a, a few key points late in the first half. That was pre-COVID break. Uh, it was one of the more tightly contested games of this season, but... He's had these sort of virtuoso performances before, so I was expecting him to kind of uh, become this five-star recruit that's that he uh, was pegged as, uh, sort of take on the responsibility with MJ Walker out of the situation and will this team to victory. I mean, obviously, that's a tall task for a freshman player, despite uh, how he may have been recruited, any sort of the pedigree that comes along with him, but 
if there was one name that I really was looking towards late in that in that stretch, it was uh, Scotty Barnes, and it just wasn't enough from him or the rest of the team to pull it out. And this is one of the first moments that I think we've really seen out of him this season. If if I'm wrong, correct me, but I feel like we haven't seen a moment, late game situation, close game where. FSU needs someone to kind of pull them up out of that. I mean, this one isn't really close down yeah, the no. line, but they need him to try and give a spark and do something. I felt like he he didn't do that for this team. He, uh, I grant it's a freshman. It's a, these yeah. are kind of freshman moments. These are learning and teaching moments for him. So hopefully down the line he has that experience under his belt. But as that five star, you didn't see that kind of killer instinct come out. He didn't. There was no point where I saw him as like he wants to take over here. Like he had a few times where he drove down to to the lane got a layup or got uh stopped down there but there's sometimes some some of those guys you know they got it when they can just take over and I didn't see that from him I don't know am I wrong no you're not wrong and I mean I I completely agree I saw him drive to the rim a couple times I saw him sort of make guys miss he is very physically intimidating he's a 6-9 point guard that's something I like to keep referring to because mm-hmm. it's just bewildering to me that a 6-9 point guard can play so well but I mean he he should be using his size, those sort of mismatches, to his benefit while he still can. Because if he is to be drafted in the lottery like he is pegged as, he was a potential top five pick coming into this season. I don't think he's quite there right now. But if he is to be in the NBA, then there's going to be guys a lot bigger than the guys he's playing against at Georgia Tech, at Syracuse, at some of these ACC institutions, that he's going to have to find a way to get shots off over. And, I mean, if he can't do it, uh, if he can't use his size to his advantage in college, then that's going to be a real big issue for him later in life. Mm-hmm. That And that's why I think this is, I'm hoping for his sake, this is all kind of teaching moments yes. where he can look back on and say, okay, I did this wrong last time at Georgia Tech, and I need to, do, I need to change something up if I want a different result. Because if he does the same thing again, if they're going up against, like Georgia Tech, let's be honest, they're a, they're a good team right now. They're starting to hit their stride. They've had some good games. They had a two-point loss at UVA a few weeks ago. Grand, this last game against Louisville is a bit of a letdown game off short rest, but it's if it, they get into a situation where it could be UVA in a couple weeks because UVA is a physical tough team and you're going to get in foul trouble because of their defensive abilities, and Florida State might be in trouble and they might need a Scotty Barnes to step up and say I need to be the man and I need to use my abilities to the best of it and take over and so that's something that we all got to look for and. Uh, continuing on Barnes, I mean, he got bench. He came off the bench. Uh, Raquan Evans was the starter going into it. He had five points, uh, three for four from the free throw line, one for six from field goal range. Do you still think Evans should have that start over Barnes? I've been sort of mulling it over because this was really the one stinker of a game that Raquan Evans has had since he's been in this starting lineup. <laughs> uh, so I feel like if if you go one more game and Raquan Evans has a similar outing, then you start putting Scotty Barnes back in the lineup because he was playing really well. He was consistently reaching double figures, approaching 10 assists. I don't think he might have had one double-double in that span Scotty Barnes had uh, before the COVID break, but he, was, he wasn't really like dominating the game. So I wouldn't expect any of that once you if you were to put him back in the starting lineup. But if, if Raquan Evans is not the guy for this next game against Boston College, which, I mean, we're going to get into that in a couple minutes, but that should be a bounce-back game if ever there was one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but if he's not able to take advantage of that situation with four scholarship players for the opposition, then I think you look to Scotty Barnes. Yeah, and with Evans in his last three games, so he went 24-10-11 in, in the games against NC State, UNC, and Louisville. 
since then against Clemson, Miami, and Georgia Tech, he's went 5-8-5 five, five to, yeah. uh, point totals. So he's kind of mellowed out a little bit since that hot streak uh, coming out of the COVID break. And I think that's the theme for a lot of this team is that they just need that pick-me-up. And like you said, BC is going to be that pick-me-up here because it was announced today that they have only four scholarship players available for tomorrow night's game against uh, Florida State. That means they'll be going to their scout team for yeah. a lot of their players in this game. And so I want to ask you, just from the ACC perspective, why are they playing this game? Why? I mean, like we had it with <laughs> FSU football earlier this year yeah. where against UVA they only had what is, I can't remember the exact number of scholarship players required, but Florida State did not meet that requirement. What is the requirement of scholarship players in basketball? Did they even set one? It, it must be four. I don't know. I, I haven't looked at the ACC's uh, health and safety guidelines, protocols, whatever, for basketball. Uh, that might be some good reading material before tomorrow night's game yeah. just to see how badly BC was screwed over if they were. But, I mean, if they are eligible, if they have enough eligible scholarship players to play this game, you, you, can, you can hate on the ACC for making them play this game, but if it is according to the guidelines that were outlined prior to the season, you can't really fight it. Yeah, and it, I think it's just it's awful. Yeah. I mean, like this is this is not going to be a competitive game. No, by I, any I don't stretch so. of the imagination. Why? Like, it, I mind. It's mind-bogglingly stupid yeah. how the ACC is running this. Yeah, and like I understand, like Florida State, they're not going to turn down a win. I mean, that's kind of the way it's going here. But like, it's just why. <laughs> it, it reminds me sort of in the NFL, like there were examples the where Broncos. Yeah, the, the Broncos had to start a practice squad wide receiver. The Saints had their entire running back group, save for one guy, out for their season finale. So there's there's situations like that where you think, wow, the league really could do better. And maybe these are things they should have taken into account before the season started. Like four scholarship players, that may be the, the rule that you set, but it's an awful rule to be set. I, I would imagine five should be the number. Yeah. If you have five scholarship players, okay, that's a bit more understandable yeah. because you can field a starting five and not yeah. have to put in a scout player as a starting mm-hmm. player against FSU, which is a good team. And they are a going to and they're going to outsize every single person on that scout team and I or at least I would imagine I don't know Boston's Boston College's scout team I don't know if anyone really does other than the Boston College coaches but I mean the one the one thing that I could uh maybe see going wrong with this game is so this happened with the Miami Marlins when they uh came out of their COVID break at the beginning of the year (laughs) they had all they picked up all these players that no one had film on in a long time yeah we don't have any film on any of these guys at Boston College. So they may, there's a chance, there's a chance, like maybe, and that chance is saying there's a 1%, a 0.01%, that's still a chance. Yeah. There's a chance they could sneak up on them for a little bit. Obviously, Florida State should be able to overcome any bit of that kind of punch in the mouth early on. But, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't be too worried if I was an FSU fan for this game. So, I mean, do we want to do a prediction for this? Like, do you want to see if we can get the score right on this? Nah, I, I think that's really <laughs> trying to trying to shoot fish in a barrel. Like, that's that's kind of ridiculous. But um, I, I I agree with you where you said that uh, this could get out of hand, not out of hand, but could get sort of close early on. But just those four scholarship players and whatever scout guys they're going to be uh, instituting into this team, Boston College, they're going to get tired pretty quickly because their rotation is not going to be anything close to what it usually is on uh, on a given ACC basketball night. So those starters are probably going to play upwards of 30, 32 minutes, and they are not going to get a whole lot of rest. So this is one of the times where, especially if Anthony Polite can come back, which we mm-hmm. don't know his status right now. I doubt that he's going to be able to play in this game, but even without him, 
Leonard Hamilton runs very deep rotations so guys can get a lot of rest. Uh, we may not see the strongest performances from guys like Wyatt Wilkes, who's replacing Anthony Polite, or Raekwon Evans, who is uh, in the starting lineup for Scotty Barnes, but just consistent contributions are what's going to be able to give FSU the edge in this game. Do you think this game would be a lot more fun if FSU was given four or five scholarship players to play, and no. then the rest were no. just going to be the Green Vipers? It, I, I don't know also if the Green Vipers, if all of them are scholarship players, so yeah. I might be being a bit disrespectful there, but just saying Green Vipers no. against Boston College is five. It would be a lot more entertaining leading up to the game, but, I mean, these are guys that get two, three minutes uh, per game in blowouts. So they're not the most well-practiced. We, It might not be the cleanest basketball you ever saw. So mm-hmm. I, I think I will definitely take what's coming to us tomorrow instead of Green Vipers versus the BC Scout scene. I think it would be pretty fun. Obviously, that's yep. just from that unbiased. Like, I'm just looking for something funny yep. to watch, and that would be that would be funny. I'm not going to lie. That would but, be peak comedy. I mean, that oh, that would be amazing. I would be – I would – I would pay for pay-per-view if that was a pay-per-view <laughs> game. I mean, granted, it should be just probably put on ESPN Plus at this point, yep. and you, there's a paywall for that. But let's get off FSU men's basketball because, or actually, one last question on FSU men's: Does Boston College get to get over 50 points in this game? Ah, uh, see, that would be an easier question if I knew which scholarship players were available. True. Like if it's their leading scorer or their top two scorers, then sure. But if it's a couple of guys off the bench plus the scout team, then there is no chance that they even crack fifty. Yeah, I'm saying I'm saying under fifty. Yeah. They get under fifty points in this one, so that'd, that'll that, that's a good call. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the right one. If you, if you can find that those odds somewhere, <laughs> maybe I'll take it up. Anyone up on that? But either way, I'm, that's a joke. Whatever. But uh, let's talk about FSU women's basketball because they they've still they're still heading through that little bit of a rough patch here. They're still not finding it. They had a tough game against Wake Forest here. They dropped it 73 to 59. They really just, I mean, it's just a struggle. I feel like we say it every week. They're struggling to find their stuff. And like they're finding that person who can take over because Courtney, this time it was Courtney Weber who was taking over. She was the leading scorer at 22 points. And that was pretty much it. I mean, there's only five other, there's only five players total who scored in this game. So, I mean, just really cold game from the Seminoles here against the Demon Deacons. Yeah, it's really tough to look at this because they had the early lead at 2 nothing, which is what you see sometimes in blowouts like this. Uh, but just looking at some of the starters, like Bianca Jackson and Morgan Jones, these are both players that have popped in games earlier this season. So the, it, it's more of the same. Like B- Bianca Jackson shot 4 of 16, Morgan Jones shot 4 of 12. That is not conducive to success. That is not reflective of how they've played early in the, in the season. So it's nice that Courtney Weber was able to step up, be that volume shooter, shoot 50% from the floor, uh, and sort of keep FSU in this game even, like, tangentially. But, I mean, they definitely—we keep harping harking back on this. They need consistency from more of their starters. Yeah, and with that loss, they dropped to 5-4 and on the season, so— really not looking too great heading into the the meet or the kind of the the uh put up or shut up moment of yeah. the uh, part of the season so they're really i think they're sitting was it they're sitting sixth right now in the acc at a four yeah. and four conference record uh just behind notre dame syracuse georgia tech nc state and louisville so going into their last part of the season do you, do you what do you expect from this team do you are there is there anything that you can really see? Because I like it's tough to find something here to say there's going to be someone to step up and do something because you just haven't seen it recently. We just haven't. No, you, you see flashes in the pan, like we mentioned. Like one player has a standout game, another player has a standout game, but then the player that had a standout game before shoots one of ten or whatever. So 
it, it's this lack of consistency and i don't know if it's due to the covid break I, obviously some of it is due to uh sue somehow not being in there we may have uh overestimated or underestimated how how much of an impact she has on this team because brooke wyckoff she's great but she is like this is her first year as a head coach stepping in for somehow there are obviously some big shoes that she needs to fill so that's definitely uh, part of the explanation for why this team has been so inconsistent this year but you ask if i've seen anything no like they've played mm. aside from those first few games against louisville uh, the nc state one got canceled but aside from the louisville game they've played really middling competition in the acc and have not been able to come out with wins and when you say we underestimate underestimate coach soon away i i agree with that because yeah. uh she i i i assume she's probably in conversation with the team a lot more often but she's not having that day-to-day conversation with yeah. each and every player trying to figure out each thing and i Coach Wyckoff has done a great job, as best of a job she really could have done with the COVID season. You can't fault her for anything. No. It's just the the lack of presence that Semra has with the program physically. Yeah. And and that's, I mean, a lot with everything. Everyone not having the same physical presence as they would like to have in these times. So it's tough, and it's going to be, I think it's still going to be rough going forward. I don't don't know if this team finishes above 500 this season. It's going to be rough. I think they finish... Right at, I think either right at 500 or just a game below, because it, it's it's going to get tough down the stretch here, and these girls could kind of get worn out as we move forward. I can definitely see that, especially if a few of these games, like they've had uh, a handful of games recently, get postponed or canceled. I believe the uh, the Miami game got postponed, Wake got postponed. So uh, if any of these uh, other programs that they face down the line face complications with COVID towards the back part of the season. The ACC may just say, we're not playing these games. So FSU may miss out on chances to get close to 500. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they play Louisville again. They play some of the other contenders in the ACC. Notre Dame is right above them. You mentioned Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech Syracuse. Yeah. So and they got Louisville one more time. It is it is not easy goings right no, now. It's not. Yeah, they don't have the most favorable of schedules looking down the line here. So we're going to keep our eyes on the Seminoles as we move forward through the rest of the season, both men's and women's. But... I promised it at the beginning. Sebastian talked about it. Yeah. We've talked about it. You're wearing a Hawks jersey. We're yep. talking about the NBA once and for all. I mean, geez, it's been a long time <laughs> since we talked about it. Since last year. Yeah, literally since last yep. year. I mean, yeah, we talked about the finals when that happened and all that, but still, we never really had a proper like opening to the NBA season on this show, it feels like. But, hey, we're here uh, about like a month and a half late. Yeah. So better, better late than never. <laughs> exactly. So the NBA, I mean... There's a lot of storylines. Obviously, we did not get our takes off when Harden was traded, but we can still talk about Harden and the impact that he may have left or is leaving or is making right now in his the two spots where he wasn't is at the moment. But let's start with the let's start with the Rockets. I mean, the Rockets they are playing pretty darn well since James Harden has left. Are they better off without him? I mean, was it they're now a 500 club in the West, and so I mean that's solid. Yeah, they were three and six when he left after that second game against the Lakers in the back-to-back, and they're they're six and three since. So even at nine and nine, and they've they've played some decent competition in that span. The Spurs are not really the the doormat that they were last year. Uh, Popovich sort of, sort of took a one-year break from the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I think they can make a push in the Western Conference this year. They've knocked off, uh, played played okay against the Suns, had a, a couple possession loss there, but they beat the Mavericks, beat the uh, the Trailblazers in a really narrow game. And then, like, they, they have a really good opportunity to sort of elevate themselves against the Thunder tonight. So I, I think the team chemistry is a lot better with him out of the locker room. 
uh, a lot of guys on that team, John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins in particular, have said that they uh, enjoy the environment a lot more without the ball hawk that is uh, James Harden in that locker room. They have, they have guys that actually want to be there right now is the one thing they, they seem to be focusing on. So I, I am here for the story of rejuvenation for the Rockets because when James Harden was there earlier in the season, it did not look like it was going well. I don't know if his energy just rubbed off on the team way too much, but they seem to be playing a lot more cohesively right now, albeit against some sort of inferior competition. And I think having Oladipo there too, yeah. br- able to bring him in with that trade, I think it was like a four-team trade involving the, the Cavs, the Pacers, the Rockets, and the Nets to get Harden over there. But having him there is huge too because it, it like bring, like taking Harden out frees everyone up yeah. almost in a way. So, I mean, just looking at their last stat line, their 126-112 to 112 win against the Pelicans, you got uh, Jason Tate with 13, Christian Wood with 27, John Wall 15, Oladipo 20, and Eric Gordon at 14. Like That's a lot more even scoring that we've yeah. ever seen from this Rockets team, even when they had uh, Chris Paul, uh, Russell Westbrook, James Harden. When all those guys were there, you never see this, even only when they were out. Yeah, I mean, James Harden was a consistent 30-point-a-game scorer. I think he might have averaged 30 for at least a season or two during mm-hmm. this uh this run with with the Rockets that he had, but this sort of balanced scoring is exactly what you want to see from a team without like a bona fide superstar. Obviously, John Wall is a big name, DeMarcus Cousins, but those guys are not really in their prime anymore. Victor Oladipo was a great addition, as you mentioned. Uh, it was sort of funny the the day that that trade broke. Victor Oladipo was not part of the initial terms that Shams and Woj were tweeting out, so it, it felt like new news kept coming every five minutes or so. And when the Oladipo part hit, when the Pacers got involved in this trade, I was like, okay, this is this is crazy now. Yeah, and it and the the result of that is the Brooklyn Nets having Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant as yeah. their three headed monster, all without all without a bench to yeah. really go to. So it's kind of funny to watch this, and it's also a bit concerning for this team because they, as of right now, if they finish, if the season were to end today, they'd have the best offensive rating of all time with 100 uh, 122.6 and also the worst defensive rating of all time at 119.9 are is there any reason to be concerned or where is there to be concerned about this team going down line because everyone's touting them as the best team in the east and i don't i think that's fair honestly I, Seba- oh, what, sebastian okay I don't think they're the best team in the East. I think they're the most unsustainable team in the East. Yes. Um, but it, 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 like, I think the Brooklyn Nets are a fascinating experiment in basketball, and I don't think we're ever going to see a team quite like this ever again, where it's how far do you have to push offensive boundaries in terms of how much you can actually score in a complete game of basketball uh, to outweigh the gaping hole of defense that this team suffers from. Like, is it, like, I don't think this is sustainable long-term, but dropping 146 points a night and losing is something basically unheard of. It, it's a fascinating, like, enterprise, I think. But um, it's it's completely and totally sustainable because this is, sure, uh, the Wizards have this team's number for a reason. Half of their wins come at the hands of the Nets, basically. But, um... Like how like this is this is just absolutely fascinating. It's, you don't have like all three pieces on the court at one time either. You don't have Kyrie, yeah. uh, Durant, and Harden all on the court at one time. But uh, when you do, like this team, 
This team is just so weird. It feels it, like they're a, the most volatile team in the league, and no, that's what. No, volatility uh, implies like that they can have like really low scoring nights, and that's not really the case with this team. It it what it is is just like so much offense and just absolutely no defense, and it's not like they have the space to really go. Okay, well, what what assets can we move around to to get a guy that can at least like bring the uh, bring our uh, defensive points allowed. Uh, per per game, like back to kind of the mean with the NBA, because this is absurd. This is actually absurd. Like 15 years ago, I was I was thinking like as a kid, like man, like 120 points a game is kind of a lot, like too much to the point where you know when we were when we were kids, you know, you would see 80, 90 point games all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, like once we, you know, when we were like 12 to like 17 or something like that, when high scoring games because defense was punished so heavily became the norm like this is just like a whole nother level though this is like inflation and in basketball it's insane yeah just just look at their recent scoring outputs since they got james harden 135 against the cavaliers a couple weeks back uh 128 against the heat 132 against the hawks in overtime that was a crazy game 147 and 146 in back-to-back games there against the thunder and wizards so i mean they are they're either going to score 140 and win or score 140 and lose by like two so it's mm-hmm. It's crazy. I don't understand how they can be, <laughs> how people can say that this team is the best in the East when they have such a glaring weakness on defense. Because they let the 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 Thunder, or not the Thunder, the, the Wizards. Who I mean, Russell Westbrook has not been having the greatest season so far. He's only recently started to break out. Last night was his breakout game, and Bradley Beal was off his game for much of last night. So they let them sort of take over the game in a way that they really should not. What what frustrates me about this whole thing is that you're right, Gary, where they aren't, like, one of the best teams in the East just because of this, like, you know, you put all your points into offense and, and none of them into defense, and it's it's almost working, and it's working consistently enough. And and we know that the, 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 the regular season in basketball isn't, like, priority one, so we don't really know what people are going to do when they really, you know, put their foot on the gas and apply pressure to this Nets team on on defense when they truly run into an elite defense in the East. And I don't think there there really is one that's like, man, this team stands out to me as just a phenomenal defensive product. Well, that's, the, that's the way the NBA works yeah. nowadays. No one is really putting out phenomenal defensive products because it's not it's not worth it in the eyes of a lot of the metrics and everything. If you can score and you can outshoot in teams, you're going to win 99% of your games. I mean, this is one of the one weird scenarios where you see a team score 146 and lose. Yeah. I mean, that's so weird, but it's it, there's such an interesting case study going for this whole team, and we'll continue talking about the Nets and some of the other teams who should be doing better than they are than they currently are on the sec in the second half. But uh, we got to cut it off here. We're pushing up against this 30 minute mark, and we got to go to break here. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.
Welcome back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. I'm your host, Gary Pudnick. As always, I'm joined by Austin Reynolds and Sebastian Angel Riano. We left off talking a little bit about the Nets, the Brooklyn Nets, and their interesting situation that they have been in this season. I mean, they've been scoring uh, so much, and they've been defending almost nothing. And so I want to talk a little, finish a little bit about them and where who, where do you guys see this team even finishing? Because they're, it's such a weird thing. Because I know the was it the Sixers are playing good basketball. They beat the uh, they should have beaten the Los Angeles Lakers by a lot more than they did the other night. They just somehow blew a fourteen point lead down yeah. the stretch. But thank thankfully for Tobias Harris, he saved them. Yeah, it's it's really hard to make a call on where this team finishes at the end of this seventy two game regular season because I feel like. The 76ers are going to cool off a little bit. I, I think they're still a strong team in the East, but not number one seed material. And then the Celtics, like you mentioned, they've had a couple games they should have won, like that Lakers game. Uh, so the, they, I think they are going to reach their potential, uh, get, get a hot streak pretty soon here. So the top four, five really is hard to call, but I think the Nets finished comfortably within that. I mean, that's obviously half the playoff field, so kind of not very specific at all, but I think they were, they're definitely going to have home field in their first playoff series. That's the only call that I can make. Yeah, and that's very realistic. They should. They should be finishing in the top three in that East in whatever spot, one, two, or three, but they're, they're I don't know, I really do think they still have a great chance of being a finals team at the end of the season. I mean, why not? I mean, they got three of the best players in the league. They can try to figure out defense as they kind of go here, but their scoring is through the roof, and I don't. There's not too many teams that can stop them. And I mean, the only two I mentioned this to you at the half. There's been only two teams that have held them to under a hundred points this season, and that was your Atlanta Hawks and my Miami Heat. Funny enough, we I <laughs> just really weird that it just happened to be those two. Your the Hawks beat them in that game. I think one twelve to ninety six. The Heat lost ninety five to eighty five in that one. And let's talk a little bit about the Miami Heat now because. Everyone, I think a lot of people, I find them interesting at this moment because they have been struggling a lot. They have not been the team that left us in the 2019 season at the bubble, forcing the Lakers to go to six games in the finals, and Jimmy Butler playing his butt off. I mean, this does not feel like the same team right now, and that's mainly because they've been dealing with so many COVID and injury issues as we've kind of made our way through this season in the first month and a half or so. I mean, Jimmy Butler has not been there for 10 games. I mean, this has felt like such a weird team to watch because they got hit with COVID and those injuries all at the same time. I mean, there was for the game against the Sixers, their first time taking them on this year, they had only seven or eight guys available. And the Sixers were also playing a little bit more of a bare bones roster. But their bare bones roster included uh, Danny Green, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, thankfully enough for them. The Miami Heat, though, had to play Duncan Robinson, Kelly Olenek, Precious Achua, Tyler Hero, Gabe Vincent, uh, and then Max Struss. <laughs> so, I mean, just take that with a grain of salt. Max Struss had a pretty decent uh, preseason, shooting pretty well, but, I mean, he's no, he's not going to be a day-to-day NBA talent here. So this team has really been struggling. I mean, they just cannot find it at this moment. They've... During that COVID break, when Jimmy's been or when Jimmy Butler hasn't been on the court, he the Heat were two uh, were two and seven. Sorry, he missed yeah. nine, not ten games, but still. Like, do you see the Heat kind of being able to turn it around here, or do you expect them to kind of sit just outside that playoff bubble spot? They can definitely turn it around because I feel like there was always going to be a team or two that got hit by COVID really hard at the start of the season, like the Cardinals and the Marlins in MLB, and there were a couple of uh, instances in the NFL 
like the Titans and Ravens had to cause the rescheduling of like two entire weeks of football. Mm -hmm. So this is just the NBA's example. So these are two strong teams, the Heat and the Mavericks. Uh, We might talk about the Mavericks a little later. They're in the same sort of situation. Luka Doncic playing hero ball when it doesn't really count. But back to the Heat, I mean, this is a team that obviously went to the finals. You can make the arguments all you want that that was a, a fluke run that was caused by them being one of the more rested and ready teams in the bubble in such a strange environment but they're a strong contender in the east and their record that two and seven record when jimmy butler is away with injury is not indicative of their true strength and i just saw that uh tyler hero i believe is questionable for tonight's after or questionable for tonight's game yeah after uh covid19 exposure so that's just another indicator of how badly this team is being ravaged by covid19 uh, once they are free of this little uh, episode, then I think they're going to be right back competing for a spot in that little four, five, six, seven range in the playoffs in the East. I have the Heat finishing. I I believe they are a top five team yeah. in that Eastern Conference, and it was actually just announced an hour ago that Avery Bradley, Goran Dragic, and Tyler Hero will all be available for oh, tonight's nice. game against the Hornets. So nice. that's a huge pick me up, and I don't. I really am looking forward to this game against Charlotte because Charlotte has been playing well. LaMelo Ball has been starting to light it up recently. And I think this is kind of a good barometer to see where this Heat team is. Obviously, they're not going to be feeling 110% because some guys are still coming off some breaks here and there. But I think this is a good kind of uh, point to check yourself and say, okay, this is where we stand going into the rest of this season. And I think... I think the Heat will fare well tonight against Charlotte. That one will be in Miami. And then their next two games will be really nice for this team because they do take on the Wizards in Mm back-to-back matchups. So nice two little pick-me-up games. And then they got the Knicks coming down the stretch as well. Yeah, it's super good that they're not having to play, say, the the cream of the crop in either conference coming right out of this because while it's nice that you're getting your players back, it's not likely that they're going to be all seasoned and ready to go immediately. So having these sort of games against... Obviously, the Wizards are a bottom feeder, but the Knicks and the, the Hornets are sort of middle middle of the pack teams. That's a really good barometer for where this team is right now and a good way for these guys to get sort of back into the swing of things. Yeah, and going down, once we get to the middle of February, just after Valentine's Day, the Heat will go on a five-game road trip out west. They'll take on the Clippers, the Warriors, the Kings, the Lakers, and the Thunders. That's going to be, the, yeah. I think that's going to be a huge test for this team. Because there, there's some decent teams in that, and also fatigue of the travel, especially during COVID, will set in. So it'll be interesting to keep your eye on that, but I don't think we're going to tease it any much longer. We're, we are, we're in Super Bowl week. It doesn't feel like Super Bowl week, truly, but there we are here. We have made it the end of the football sandwich. It is coming to an end, sadly. And I this past weekend was weird because obviously no football first and foremost this is our first footballist weekend since I think like August at this point. Mm-hmm. And I kind of sat there. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? I mean, like I watched the Farmers Insurance Open, Patrick Reed. We can that's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother time. But I just sat there, watched some golf, watched college basketball. And I was like, well, this is this is life without football. Like, I forgot what this was like. I mean, it's a it's a gut check. It's it's sad. Yeah, the, the absence of football is pretty much the entire reason why I ended up watching Kill Bill. Like a couple of friends oh. were like, oh, do you, do you want to hop on and watch Kill Bill? I was like, sure, why not? So we just watched those two movies over a couple of days. But Good. it was really weird. But this is we hit media day or opening night whatever they call it now we hit that today it's sort of starting to feel real now we are gonna have a football game in six days to determine the super bowl champion 
I I didn't even know it was media day media yeah. day today because it, it's usually like in one of the, like either a hockey arena or a baseball stadium yeah. around the area. Like last year in Miami, it was in Marlins Park, and it, I don't you don't see any of that. Like I could imagine this year it would have been at Tropicana Field, and you would have had all the media all over the place, all the players, all the fun antics that you get with it. Huh. Like, what's one thing that you miss other than obviously for this season in a COVID year? No fans, obviously, in the stand. That's going to be the biggest thing we all miss. But what's the one thing that you miss kind of about Super Bowl week or you're going to miss? I was going to say media day just mm-hmm. because it is like it, it's a it's a drag for the players having to sit there and answer questions. Some of them about the game, some of them about their favorite color, uh, just a wide range of questions. But it's fun to just watch the guys that are there for their first time, like the glow in their eyes, talk about their experiences, their preparation. It's really fun. Uh, not so fun to hear Tom Brady say, oh, this is really weird. This is a lot different from the other nine times that I've been here. Strongest uh, he, flex of all time. Yeah, he It said, really no is. Flex. He, he said that on the Zoom call today, and I just kind of rolled my eyes. But, uh, I mean, th- just seeing th- the crowds of reporters swarming uh, players. I mean, when it first got announced that the Super Bowl was going to be in Tampa, or at least maybe like a year after, I know we here at the radio station were thinking – pipe dream we could get credentials to media day take a trip down to tampa and maybe get a few questions in it's just not going to happen it, it, it didn't happen for anybody this any, anybody this year and i think that kind of worked out well for us because there really aren't any fsu players on either of these right, rosters right. i think we were we were there's, hoping there's derek naughty well derek naughty the one and only so <laughs> yeah. i mean there that would be our one in there but still i mean like it would have been really cool to go down there if we had that opportunity yeah. but like another thing another media related thing that we're going to miss out on i think is just radio row in general like yeah. the fun of it like I love being able to watch certain shows on like either network and kind of see the crossover. I think it's like the best crossover week in sports for networks because you see everyone floating around like you're looking in the background of like people's stage shows in the area. And you're like, oh, shoot, like there's so and so from whatever show just like hanging around watching like the Dan Patrick show and doing whatever. I mean, it's a fun time and it's sadly we we're going to miss out on that. But thankfully we don't miss out on an actual Super Bowl there's thankfully we're getting it played this year and that's great that's a big win so let's let's talk about that let's talk about the actual game itself here and we start we are starting to see or at least myself as someone who's going to be probably saying picking the Chiefs to win this week starting to get a little bit more concerned because the Chiefs are starting to go through some injury trouble on their front line on that offensive line recently uh, Eric Fisher, their left tackle, it was announced he won't be able to be playing this week in the Super Bowl. And now, this this afternoon, I got an update that uh, Daniel Kilgore is now on the COVID list due to contact tracing, uh, as reported by Adam Schefter. So, are you worried about this Chiefs offensive line now going into this week, especially the way the Bucks defensive line has been feeling? Yes, because Kilgore did not listen to Stephen A. Smith. He put out, uh, I think it was on his ESPN Plus program, uh, Stephen A.'s World. Uh, and he put it on Twitter as well. He said, stay isolated. Don't bring your girlfriend over. Don't bring your family over. Don't go out to dinner just because the guy guy asks you out or whatever. Like, just stay isolated because this is the Super Bowl. You're, you're, don't, you don't want to miss the opportunity to play in a Super Bowl. So I'm not going to say that Kilgore uh, was doing things he shouldn't have, but some way or another, he got into COVID protocols, and it's not likely that he's going to play in this game. So that is one more important piece of the Chiefs' offensive line that is so conducive to the lethality of Patrick Mahomes that that team is going to very sorely miss. Eric Fisher, obviously, I think he was a number one overall pick in 2013, if I believe, if I remember correctly. So his services are, like, obvious. They can't be understated. But 
having two starters down on the offensive line is going to be awful against this Bucks pass rush. Yeah, and we can and another like that's one matchup that everyone's going to be looking for the Bucks yeah. defensive line against the Chiefs offensive line. And Sebastian, is there any other matchup there you're really looking forward to this week as a Bucks fan yourself? I really want to see what Vita Vea can do now that he's kind of he's been back, he's been practicing, he's uh he's going to hit the ground running uh, for this week. Uh, I'm really excited to see him in particular if, uh, since uh, Fisher and the uh, the right tackle, I believe, are both going to be out. The starting right tackles for uh, for the Chiefs are going to be out. Um, we we could see a lot more pressure than Patrick Mahomes is used to. I'm not saying that Patrick Mahomes will be caught off guard by this. Um, he's a he's a player that definitely can knows how to how to use his footwork to um, extend a um, the the time before a pass. So um, I really it, this, this game for me really is in in Todd Bowles' hands. If he if he can adapt and adjust um, to the Chiefs the same way that it did um, earlier in the season in the the game that was kind of a wash um, from from the get go and only was really close to the end once he made those adjustments. I uh, I think the game will be will be interesting. But remember, no no predictions from me. I prefer not to speak. <laughs> of course, speak, that, that's I'm why I just asked trouble. you what your matchup, what the matchup that you're going to enjoy watching this weekend, or at least going to be interested in watching, because I think that is a very good one. Vita Vea is a huge part of this team, and if he's able to feel a good percentage health wise, it's he's going to be a problem for a lot of people, and so that's going to be a great one to look out for this weekend. One that I'm personally looking out for is Tariq Hill against the uh, the Bucks secondary because. He tore them up last time they yeah. met, and he that was really just in the first quarter, too, or the first half. Mm. And so if he's able to recreate even half of that, I think the Chiefs are going to be in a good spot to win this game. And so it's going to be a lot to look out for, and I like how uh, it's just, I think it's going to be tough to stop him. It always is. For every team, it's so tough to find a guy to match him. Yeah. I, I was, uh, for my most anticipated matchup, I was looking like for the inverse of that matchup, the Tampa Bay weapons against the Kansas City mm-hmm. secondary, because... They this sometimes they get shredded. Sometimes they're consistent. Uh, it's really uh, you, you don't know what you're going to get from game to game. But just looking at the formations, looking at who's going to get double covered, uh, who's going to play uh, like Nickelers, uh, whatever Nickeler dime, uh, depending on the formations for uh, Tampa. That's going to be something that I really am interested in because we were just talking about it before the show. You put two guys on Mike Evans. You uh, that leaves a lot less options for the Kansas City defense with regards to covering. Chris Godwin, Scotty Miller, uh, Rob Gronkowski when he's not in pass protection, um, Cameron Brait, obviously one of the better uh, red zone tight end targets uh, in the league. So just seeing those matchups uh, is going to be really interesting, and I think that's that's ultimately what's going to decide the game. Yeah, and uh, yeah, especially when it comes down to seeing how well Tom Brady kind of manages the passing game, because obviously in the game against uh, Green Bay a couple weeks ago. Is pretty sloppy, in yeah. my opinion. I mean, he had some really impressive throws, like the one to Scotty Miller to end that half. But then he also had a he he could have nearly been intercepted five times in yeah. this game, in that game against Green Bay. So that's going to be a huge another kind of aspect of this game that's going to be a big factor going forward. And like you said, the, the Chiefs their pass defense is pretty good. It's not great. They're sitting around tenth in the NFL yeah. rank wise. So I mean, they're a decent passing. Uh, defense, but they're not like they're not anything that jumps off the page. The Bucks are better than them in technically both defensive uh, uh, parts Faces, of the game. Yeah. yeah, exactly, run and pass. So that's going to be great to watch out for. I mean, the the Chiefs do actually have more interceptions than the Buccaneers do, but I'm pretty sure the Buccaneers do have more forced fumbles right. than the Chiefs. So 
Lots to look out for on those ends, but I mentioned Tom Brady, and obviously the big matchup, it's Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, two of the greatest quarterbacks that we're really touting at this point. Do you guys think this is going to be the greatest quarterback matchup of all time, at least historically? You can't, um, let's look back on the like back end, and I guess we can even talk about going forward, but is this going to be, I personally, I believe this is the greatest matchup we've ever seen, but maybe not going forward. Sebastian? I mean, if, we've, if we're talking about what we've ever seen, obviously, I, probably. It, it, it is like a, a, a matter of like, you know, where we're really what we're measuring is uh, Patrick Mahomes' potential versus uh, Tom Brady's prestige, right? Um, it, we, we can't really ignore the um, what we're going to see next. Uh, we were talking about this in the show or uh, before the show, and we were just we were just going on about like, no, we I don't think we have yet to see um, – a better quarterback than we're probably going to see a better quarterback than Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, maybe just because um, the way that position is developing so quickly, um, the, the game is not like evolved fast enough to really contain quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Um, the the relimit is balancing their, their run game with their passing game. But when we see like a truly complete um, uh, dual threat quarterback like that, um, Patrick Holmes may, may be it right now. I think he's he's the first truly like well balanced uh, pass and rush quarterback out there. But um, I, yeah, it probably is. I I feel defeated because you were like, oh no, I, we... I kind of did put <laughs> I did move the goalposts on you. I'll be yeah. I'll be honest about that. Yeah. I did. <laughs> yeah, because because I I think that we're we still have yet to to really like get the juice out of the quarterback position. The quarterback position is very well protected protected and it's extremely productive. And the way it's productive is by um, manufacturing yards where you really wouldn't be able to find them otherwise because of um, how defensemen have to run into the rules like that. Um, we were talking about it earlier where where uh, Pat Patrick can manufacture yards along the sideline. Um, if you want to get him out of bounds, you can't do it too hard because then you'll be called for uh, roughing the passer and you'll lose another 15 yards on top of the play. So um, we're, we're going to see a continuation of that. We're going to see people, um, you know, exploit uh, exploit how like high the ceiling is currently for the quarterback position, and it's only going to gain further importance. I think um, Brady's greatness doesn't necessarily stem from mechanical skill but more so on how he can convince literally anybody to run through a brick wall for him i right now would gladly run through a brick wall for tom brady (laughs) sans padding like i don't care that my body's going to be broken but he's convinced me that if i were to do it i probably could break through it wouldn't you your body would not break if you did not eat strawberries and tomatoes that those are the two things holding you back the avocado here oh the avocado yes you must eat only avocado on toast yes those are the two the three keys to not breaking your body down over the course of your lifetime but Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it is. It's one of the best matchups we're ever going to see. I, I want to go back to the point that Sebastian made about Mahomes being the most complete dual threat quarterback because you think back to Super Bowl Forty Nine when Russell Wilson was still in his prime or still in his prime, he was one of the best dual threat quarterbacks that we had ever seen at that time. He was a real threat in the passing game. Uh, he used his legs even a lot more than he does today. So that was a really compelling Super Bowl. Uh, if I had to peg any Super Bowl to have a, a better quarterback matchup than Fifty Five, I would go Forty Nine. And sort of interesting that Tom Brady is still included in that uh, in that pairing, but uh, we're like twenty twenty Patrick Mahomes is a little worse than twenty fourteen Russell Wilson, I would say. 
that's the only reason that I would even bring that up. What about Super Bowl? What is this? Uh, the Super Bowl between the Broncos and the Packers, Brett Favre and John Elway. Oh, that was I, be- that was before my time. I know, but I'm just saying, like Super Bowl matchup, just purely matchup wise. Yeah. I think that's I, that's got to be a top. That's like a- yeah, top five like one a, for sure. I, I'd agree, but like that's a historical iteration of the quarterback that is all but extinct now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, except for I, I'd say I'd give it a little more to um, Brett Favre because that man could like tank hits like there is no tomorrow. Well, so could Elway. Uh, I mean, remember the play, the big play from that Super Bowl? Elway running to the end zone, helicoptering, helicoptering in. in. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, talk about tanking hits. That's yeah. one of them. <laughs> that's like a that, yeah, but like dudes, dudes still can can deal with that punishment, except that they can put themselves nowadays in a position where um where they don't have to and mm-hmm. and move the ball in a certain direction, uh, whether it be out of bounds or just down two or three yards to manufacture. Um, yardage where they really shouldn't be. Uh, I think uh, it's like a contest between two different eras of quarterback. Uh, you know, that Manning-esque era of quarterback where he's like this extremely tall dude who just sits in the pocket for two and a half years before spotting a guy downfield and going for it versus the um, before the like the modern era, the, 2000, uh, the quarterback of tomorrow, the 2020s quarterback, which will sit in the pocket for uh, maybe a second or two before moving back or moving to the right um it really is like uh and it's unlike anything i think we've ever seen in, ba- in any sport really it would be a basketball football motorsport where you have two different like builds of the same position playing on the same field at the same time it's fascinating it really is like fascinating i hate how we've talked for hours about it as media <laughs> but um it really is something isn't it yeah and, and that just really serves to drive home the passing of the torch narrative even more because brady is sort of the the last i mean the, the most recognizable of of 2020 quarterbacks uh the last of this generation like the peyton manning type the arc, pocket passer yeah the, pocket the traditional passer. pocket yeah. passer that we've all grown yeah, to he's, love he's he's the most uh in, in the strongest guy left in that group mm-hmm. right now and patrick mahomes is the definition of a dual threat quarterback he can beat you with his arm his legs whatever do you, so yeah. do you consider Aaron Rodgers part of that generation or do you consider him to be a part of like that intermediary period? He's of, the first of he's the first kind of yes. moving it towards what we're seeing so now like a, in the like 20... a transitional quarterback yeah, in that sense. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because we've seen I mean like Andrew Luck was kind of close. I mean, he was a little bit closer, obviously, to the traditional pocket passer, but mm. he could run the ball a little bit, but Problem not as much. Is that he got turned into yeah. paste several yeah, that, times at Indianapolis. Yeah. We really couldn't see his, his like true ceiling, even though we knew he was going to be something special. Yeah, that's, that's not, not his not, Andrew Luck is a tragedy, but still, honestly. Let's get off of that. Like yeah. uh, let's so let's uh, getting back to the game ex- itself exactly. Like for these two teams, what do the Chiefs need to do to win this game? The Chiefs need to uh, get guys, like, the, the next man up mentality needs to apply on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to be without Eric Fisher and Kilgore, then this is an awful time to be without two of your offensive line starters. Uh, this is something I touched on earlier, obviously. This is one of the biggest losses that jumps off the page heading into this matchup. But the Bucks pass, pass rush got to Green Bay when uh, David Bakhtiari was out for them. He's by far and away the Packers' best offensive lineman, so... His services were dearly missed. I think the the Bucks got like five sacks in that game. Is that right? Close. Something like that. Yeah, so, five. Yeah, yeah, Sebastian got five. Five sacks and a, a lot more pressures because Aaron Rodgers was not able to do anything, even when he when he was gifted possessions by Brady's interceptions. So, just being able to count on guys that aren't usually uh, playing a whole ton of snaps, getting them 
uh, to a comfort level where they can protect Patrick Mahomes in the biggest game of their careers is going to be integral to the Kansas City Chiefs winning this game. I think for the Chiefs, at least for me, what they need to do to win this game is take advantage of those, take advantage of Brady's mistakes or any of the Tampa Bay mistakes because Green Bay could not do that. And that's why they lost that game to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And if if the Chiefs can simply just get more than two two touchdowns yeah. off of two Tampa Bay errors, they're in great position to win this game. But if you can only score six off of three t- interceptions, you're screwed. You're yeah. done. You've lost that game already because you've but you've won the turnover battle, but you've lost the war in that way. So that's going to be a huge thing for that. But last thing, Sebastian. Yep. All right. So, uh, if for the Bucks, let's quickly go through this. Okay. What do the Bucks need to do to win this game? I Sebastian? actually remember I was going to say. Oh. Um, and I was going to give like my. This is a, the two second version, but it's make Brady uncomfortable. That's what the Chiefs need to do. They need to make him uncomfortable. They need to um, kind of invoke that spirit of that third and fourth, specifically in the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter, Brady three straight turnovers. Um, make him feel like he can't throw away the passes. For me, the 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 kind of okay, like the. If this had happened 15 minutes earlier, this game would have been over. Uh, moment was when Brady just spikes the ball on uh, on third down, just to just to get them to 31 in that fine in the NFC Conference Championships. If they can pressure him just the same way that the Bucks have pressured uh, pressured Rodgers that same game, I think they've got it. But now moving on to the Buccaneers, yes. what do they need to do, Mahomes? Um, for for me, like the what happened, the way Mahomes and Tyreek Hill smoke. Um, off, uh, opposing secondaries and just defenses in general is uh, they just find pockets and, and, and space. And it's strange, but there, there's just moments where it's like, okay, there's no way they get anything out of this third and out, right? Uh, it's like third and seven or whatever, if you can even get the, the Chiefs to that. And all of a sudden, they'll make it, a, they'll turn it into a QB scramble for a gain of 17. And you're just like, how the hell did that happen? How on earth did that happen? I. Um, like I said, um, this game pretty much exclusively for me rests on Todd Bowles' shoulders. Um, Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles. Yeah, not Bowles. <laughs> His Bowles. <laughs> your Bowles oh might not be in a good spot well, on my, Sunday my with all the food and the nerves. Too. I'm gonna be like Todd Bowles. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, full, full, so it's really full for, apologies to my defensive coordinator. So for you, it's stopping Mahomes and Tariq. If you can n- knock down yeah. that connection, they have a great chance. And you've got you've got the weapons to do that in your secondary. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, your safeties are elite. You're you've got Sean Murphy Barnting who's going nuclear in this playoffs, um, and I think that. Um, he can beat Tyreek Hill to the reception uh, in, in key plays. If he can do that, I think the Buccaneers have a great chance. Awesome. I would say just don't give up the big play because Todd Bowles in that first quarter against the Buccaneers uh, back in week 12 or 13, whenever it was, uh, he was putting single coverage, uh, man coverage on uh, on Tyreek Hill, and that was not to the Bucks' advantage. So just coming in with literally any other game plan is going to keep you in this game for a lot longer. Uh, with that mentality that you're it sounds like you would be rather running prevent a lot of the time not not running prevent but just putting two dudes on Tyreek Hill okay yeah just simply yeah putting a band-aid over those yeah. that guy yeah but when you do that you leave Travis Kelsey wide open you got Sammy Watkins they got Pringle they got a bunch of the guys well, yeah, that can but, stop I mean, I mean it's, 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 it's a it's lot the of the same, same it's the same conversations you have about oh, the Bucks offense it's exactly you, you, you just you just need to put your trust in the guys that have been playing for you for 18 games mm-hmm. it's a defensive nightmare both of yeah. these coaches for both of these teams they have their hands full defensively it's crazy i you can't really pin one thing down on this 
And but the one for me that at least if Tampa can do this correct, they're going to have a chance. And Sebastian mentioned this for the Chiefs. If the Bucks can make Mahomes uncomfortable and just force him into bad throwing positions, they're going to have a great chance. Because Mahomes, I mean, he does make some really amazing throws from really off positions that you don't see a lot of time. But you're not going to be able to do that every single time. And it's just something that's almost impossible to recreate 100 times out of 100. And so if they can get that, and maybe they get the one time where they can force an error on Mahomes and really take advantage of that. So pressure on Mahomes, huge for this game, for the Buccaneers. Completely agree. And it's doubly so because there is going to be that patchwork offensive line. So any pressure on Mahomes, forcing him out of the pocket, like you said, he's not going to be able to be the wizard 100 times out of 100. I think Josh Allen is pretty good evidence of that. Mm-hmm. trying to make plays happen, running 15 yards back and just getting sacked. So. Exactly. So there could be some bad situation that Mahomes could get himself into. But let's do this as we head up to the end of our show here today. Predictions. I know, Sebastian, you are staying out of it. You abstain. Yeah. You go on mute. <laughs> He's just, <laughs> just dunked. Okay. But no, no, I'm joking. But uh, no. So predictions. Austin, who wins? Are we doing? Let's do score. Let's, let's do, do score, score. Yeah, I can do score. Uh, I am going to say Chiefs 34-30. I think it's going to be a higher scoring Super Bowl, definitely. Uh, Mahomes is going to be able to make enough plays on the run to keep his team in this game. Uh, the, the matchups that we mentioned, the like the, the weapons against both secondaries is going to be uh, not really advantageous for either team. I think they're both going to eat in this game. So I, I could definitely see Mahomes and Brady throwing for three, four touchdowns each. I got Chiefs 45. Oh. Yeah, high scoring game. Okay. Tampa, 38. Okay. High scoring game. I think this gotcha. is going to be the highest scoring Super Bowl of all time. That's and crazy. It's going to be real bad when this is going to be 20 to 10 at the at the end of this game. <laughs> but still, I think, I think... I think you... So I'm not going to comment on the score, but I think you guys are over overstating how productive Brady can be. I know this is the big stage. I know this is his game that he's had for the past 10 years, or 20 years, rather. Um, this is where you want him the most. But at the same time, like his production numbers this postseason have not been that high. He's not slinging it for 500 yards a game. He's doing just enough to get the win. Um, that's all you really expect, all you really want out of a quarterback um, to put your team in a position, in a good enough position to win the game on both sides of the ball. Well, But I, th- I think you guys are a little too bullish on both sides of the ball for this one. Well, I like also how I think with the way that all these pieces that uh, the Bucks have on the offensive end, just purely passing-wise, is going to open up a lot of holes for Leonard Fournette. And the Bucks don't have, or the Chiefs don't have a great off or great rush defense. It's good. It's not great. And I think there really could be some issues that come about with, I know Tampa has not been great running the ball this year. I know they haven't, if but you're, if you're I think there's a chance. about how, like, lights out both defenses are going to be, where they're going to make these high-flying plays, like pick sixes and all that, all that. Um, I think you're you're still like overstating how good these defenses can be versus mm-hmm. how good these offenses can be. You're not going to see a ton of pick sixes. I don't think that we're going to see more no. than two uh, from both sides of the ball if they actually happen. If they if pick sixes pick sixes happen, they're going to come in pairs though. I, that's what I think. Okay. Um, no, what you're what you're going to see is maybe maybe a couple fumble recoveries by by the Buccaneers. Um, maybe a couple fumble recoveries by the. Um, by the Chiefs, but you're not going to see a ton of ball movement by the defense itself. Yeah, no, I think that's fair, but I this is going to be a great game. I'm really excited for it. I always love watching the Super Bowl. I think we all do, and this is going to be just another great time. Yeah, I know we are way past 8 o'clock, and I think you were about to end the show right now. Kind but of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. But uh, I, I did want to slide this last topic in just because it's kind of fun. Favorite prop bets. Ah. Uh, the one that I was going to mention is uh, 
you see a lot of the ones like what's going to be Tony, the, the color of Tony Romo's tie or the color of the Gatorade that's, that gets dumped on Andy Reid after the Chiefs win. So, yeah. Um, Sebastian's giving you a. Sebastian's not looking at you nice. <laughs> he does not look happy. I can imagine. But uh, m- my favorite one, uh, it's sort of topical to 2020, the COVID era, is how long it's going to take for the first mention of uh, first responders, healthcare workers in the stands to be mentioned. Because I think. 20 seconds, yeah, man. The, it's got to be 20. The over under, uh, I remember the number. I don't remember the units of time because it was, uh, well, I mean, units of time. It's, it's 100. Se- or 100 79.5 seconds so pretty much over or under three minutes i don't know if that's from that's, the start of that's I, under man yeah I, I, I don't know if it's from the start of the broadcast i don't know if it's from kickoff i don't know if it's minutes of game time that's a good point but actually. i mean that that's i think it's going to be broken either way i think it's going to be mentioned within the first five plays very quickly it's yeah. going to be the, one of the first things mentioned yeah. off that broadcast but one that i like and that i've loved following for the past few years is the number of the first player to yeah. score. And I, a few years ago, I saw one where it was going to be first, it was going to be an even number player or an odd number player. Another year or last year I saw was over under a certain jersey number. Mm-hmm. This year, the one that I found is over under the number 17 and a half. So will it be 18 or over or will it be 17 or under? I think that's a great one to look out for. I would usually lean just under because I know there it can go either way that's why I think it's a great bet it's a lot of fun to watch but I don't know there's gonna be a lot of great ones to look out for I if you got your hand in the betting pool I mean uh gamble responsibly first of all don't (laughs) blow any money that you don't have but secondly it just I don't know just follow things I that's what I think is most fun just following it not really having any skin in it Sebastian, uh, one last thing: if you're going to, get, if the uh, prop bet for first player to score a touchdown, if it is a Buccaneer possession on the on the first touchdown drive, um, if you think that's what's going to be the case, then please do not bet the under if it's like uh, on the jersey number. Yeah, that's on what the you're saying. Number. Yeah. If it's like 45 and a half, don't see the don't problem, bet the under. The bet problem the is over. you have to get that in before the game starts, right. so you don't know if it's gonna, who's right. going to win the coin toss. Also, coin would, toss would, always fun. I would always go bet, tails. <laughs> bet, bet the over on that one because you've got. Um, Kelsey, who I think is what, like in the eighties or something like that. Kelsey is 80, eighty-seven. Yeah, eighty-seven. 87 yeah. And uh, a popular target of the postseason for the Buccaneers Cam- has been Cameron Brait, mm-hmm. tight end, eighty-four. Keep an eye on that. Exactly. So yeah, keep an eye out for all that stuff. It's gonna be a lot of fun this Super Bowl Sunday. It won't be the same as it usually is, but still, it's a Super Bowl nonetheless. So enjoy it. They only come once a year, and this is the last bite of the football sandwich. Yep. So it better be the sweetest bite Savor of all. It. So Savor yeah. It. That's all for this episode of Tomahawk Talk. We appreciate you for listening. I know we ran a bit longer than usual, but it was worth it. I'd say so. This is the last time we get to talk about a pre-football weekend. So it's a lot of fun, but we'll be back next weekend with Super Bowl reaction. We'll be back with uh, NBA, a lot of NBA talk. We finally have more time. More time for NBA. We're going to talk about more baseball, too, because baseball's right around the corner. And maybe some hockey? Who knows? We'll see about that as we move forward the rest of this year. And so thank once again, thank you for listening. You can find our show on podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, anywhere you can find your podcast. Just search Tomahawk Talk and it will come up. So yeah, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.